Welcome to the Strategy Mom Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, we are talking everything to do with upsells. Yes, I said upsells. I don't care if you don't like that word or not. The bottom line, that's what we're talking about today. And I have a very special guest to jam with me about this. I have Squire Pettis with me today, and uh, we're going to talk everything upsell. And I'm so, uh, look, this was, this, this whole conversation kind of started from a post that I did on LinkedIn. And I'm so glad that you were able to jump on with me and kind of, and, and talk about this because it, it's a subject matter that I don't think is talked about a lot. And it's a very timely subject to have, especially with what's going on in our industry. And, you know, we've got to be looking at that, the back end of our dealership for that profitability, but still maintaining, you know, proper processes and procedures. Uh, Squire, though, before we kind of jump deep into our conversation, I always like to kick off every podcast with a little origin story because I'm always so curious, right? So, so, so Squire, how did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Um, so interesting enough, I um, graduated college with a engineering degree and I was in love with all aspects of engineering. Wanted to be an engineer, the engineer. I thought that that was exactly what I wanted to and needed to do. So I um, applied for some engineering positions, got a phone call from um, a recruiter who was actually working for Bridgestone Firestone Tire and Service Center, mm -hmm. asked me that I want to have a part-time job until I got the big engineering job <laughs> and started to work at a small Firestone store, um, working on vehicles, advising customers on what they needed. And I knew very little about the automotive business, but um, had a few mechanics that taught me uh, how things work on a vehicle, what's important. I uh, grew a love for the automotive business, uh, then transitioned from the tire and service center, let's say independent repair shop, to working for rental car, worked for a variety of different rental car agencies, uh, then got the opportunity to do the current job that I have, which is representing a manufacturer in the service and parts, in the service and parts arena. So that's my origin story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I love it, right? Like, I'm going to go be an engineer, uh, automotive. <laughs> right dude it happens so often right i mean i talked to i was talking to the other guy uh the other day and he's legitimately a rocket scientist like that's his degrees any worse in the automotive industry and i'm just like wow talk about a zigzag to get to where you are so look um today's topic's all about the upsell and um i'm so glad we're able to talk about it. but i think before we kind of get into just the real you know, meat and potatoes of it is, is I think there's a lot of people out there watching and listening right now don't necessarily know what an upsell is. Um, so, so let's, let's start there, Squire. How do you define an upsell? Well, the easiest thing that I would say is, so, you know, on paper, what we define an upsell is, is anything more or anything larger that the client decides to purchase or we sell to them or anything that they quote unquote take home other than what they came in for. And even though that's the textbook definition of an upsell, what, what, what I believe an upsell to be is how are we going to further our journey with the client 
and our business and let's say the product. And, and it doesn't have to be in the automotive industry. It could mm-hmm. be something as simple as, let's say you go to buy a washer and dryer or, or a refrigerator. You went into the store to buy a simple washer and dryer and the individual that is showing you the product says, well, you know, what else are you gonna do with this thing other than wash and dry? Well, you know, I, I have these special dress shirts that I don't wanna to take to the cleaners. Mm-hmm. Gentleman says, well, you know, we have this exact machine that not only does it wash and dry your clothes, it has a cleaner setting. And you say, okay, that sounds good. How much more is it? It's X amount of dollars more. Why don't you take that home? I'll go ahead and take that home. That actually is an upsell because it's something that is experienced and progressed the journey from you as a consumer with the individual that's selling you the product, Best Buy, Lowe's, Menards, whatever it happens to be. And then the ultimate manufacturer, because the manufacturer created this washer and dryer to do that sort of thing. So it's as best as a winnable scenario across all three phases as you can. That's what I believe an upsell is. It's not just gentleman came in for an oil change and we got him out of the door with, you know, two sets of tires and brakes exactly. and so on and so forth, just because we had to do it. No, and you know what it is? And I think in our industry, you know, the, the word upsell, which, you know, when I posted that, that's what happened, right? You know, I think everyone kind of defaulted to kind of the, the, the negative kind of condensation that goes around there. You know, it's like, it's like, no, actually, an upsell is actually a, a positive thing when it's done right and when it's done professionally. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I'm sitting there listening to your explanation of the washer and dryer, and I literally went through this exact same thing. <laughs> um, so it's so funny. I'm like, gosh, this is... Did Squire look at my Instagram account before? Did he see me buy a new washer and dryer? Like I'm just like, but no, I I did this right. I actually showed up. Uh, it was a Home Depot. Went in there to buy a washer washer and dryer, and um, it was just after work, so I was wearing my normal work stuff, right? And I had already in my head knew which model I was going to get. I went in there, and the person did a great job saying, "Oh, that's a that's a sharp looking vest." And I said, "Yeah, I, I got to dry clean this." But man, I can't be cheap. I said, "No, but you know, it's just." Yeah, it's what I got to do to support the brand. And he's like, well, let me show you what this one does. And I'm like, okay. Right. Because there are times where I can't always make it out to the dry cleaner. And it's like, it's a time thing. Right. So it was like, if you don't make it to dry cleaner, you can use this mode. And I was sold. It was an upsell and it was a value proposition upsell that I bought into. And it was, it was, it was actually a great customer experience. That's really what it was. Yeah. I think an upsell okay. can be a, a, a part of the customer experience. And the customer experience goes both negative and positive. So that's where I kind of see is, you know, the, where an upsell is. Now let's talk about like, what's the goal behind an upsell? Because I think, you know, there are different levels in our industry. And, right. you know, and, and, and I think, you know, from the manufacturer to the dealer and so on, you know, everybody's got a different goal. And I'd love to kind of get your thoughts of like, you know, you know what is, you know, kind of an industry-wide uh, goal for the upsell? Well, the first thing I, I start to say is, is, is what, you know, in my experience talking to different managers and, and, and going through different upsell phases, um, you know, so I, I guess I'll, I'll start out by saying what I think some of the misnomenclatures are with upsells. Um, obviously, you know, we, we, we've all know what the alphabet is and we sing the alphabet and we know what letter comes before the other. But one of the phrases that I started to talk to some of locations about and some managers about, about upsells is there's a concept and the, obviously there's a before B before C, but sometimes when we deal with upsells, we have this thought process that, 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 that equals P comes before F. And 
there's three different versions of the P. So the first P is related to pay plan. So whatever it is that I'm asked to do, as far as upselling, it's written down on a board. And obviously we have our board and yeah. the board is here and it's got our brackets in it. And we work our upsells based upon our pay plan. So upsell dollar amount A equals this amount of pay. Upsells dollar amount B equals this amount of, of, of that. And then the second P is performance. Because at the end of the month, at the end of the year, we get a performance review and, and then the boss comes down there and says, all right, Squire, Jason, here's your upsell percentages, here's mm -hmm. your performance, here's your pay or here's your not pay. Mm -hmm. And then the last P is related to promotion. So typically in a shop or in an organization, the person that is elevated to the best quote unquote salesperson who gives the best performance is promoted. And all three of those P's we want to do in our organization before we get to the F, which is fired. <laughs> so true. traditionally, that's why I say P comes before F as far as the upsell proposition. And normally it's strictly based upon what that organization wants at that particular point in time. But very rarely what we do with the upsell is we don't ask the question, how did the extraction or ask of more dollars to be spent, how does that help the customer feel? Exactly. And how does that help with the customer uh, proposition? Or I go on to my second phrase, which is the month is better than the year. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people say, well, what do you mean? You know, a year is always better than a month. And it's like, well, it depends on when you look at it. So when you look at financial statements, they're month by month by month. And a lot of times when you look at, let's say, a dealership's CRM or you look at a dealership's business tool, it's always what are you doing for that month? Yes, a 30-day cycle. Right. So because it's a 30-day cycle, a lot of times the upsell is based upon where I am in the 30-day cycle as opposed to the value proposition we may have year over year over year. A perfect example, I worked with a, a, a retailer and they were not having a very good month over month cycle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, 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 when they're not, when they're not having a good month, sometimes you're not having a good month. And then you look at it, you have to review your numbers with your boss and review their numbers with their boss. And I did a deep dive into this store, but over the course of, of, of a three year running average, they had increased their service and parts, traffic, profitability, repair order count, all metrics with the exception of their wholesale parts because they actually canceled their wholesale division because the individual that ran it retired were up over a course of three years, 18%. Wow. So I said to the powers that be, I said, why are we asking this store to have a January 2020 better than 19 Mm -hmm. And a February 2020, better than 19, and a March 2020, better than 19, knowing that the days don't always add up, the days of the week don't always add up, there's holidays and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, when you have a 365-day cycle, give or take plus or minus your weekends, you're coming up with an aggregate increase of business. But that sometimes goes back to your pay scale. You yeah, get paid I mean, there's a 20% bonus. What's that? There's, there's a right. You get paid a 20% bonus if you raised your business this month versus last month. 
But when I raised it 40% six months ago, well, we're not really interested in that. We're just interested in the 20% you want to get today. Well, I, I, I like what you're saying by looking at the 30-day, which is actually kind of funny because a lot of times I actually on the sales side of the business, I tell them not to look at the 30-day. Right. This In this particular case, it actually does make sense. Um, I don't know if you're a sports fan. I like baseball. But, okay. you know, it's like it's it's almost kind of cool to see that, you know, take a look at like baseball. you got seven innings, um, you know, and, and then take a look how your your month is. You almost look at, you, you know, your 20-day you know work work cycle is you got 20 innings. You know, and yeah. it's, it's playing that game for that period, um, knowing that, you know, if if you didn't quite play the game well enough, you get to replay the game again. You know, there are so many games to play out through the year. But I think what it is, is, is and you said it kind of earlier, you know, yes, performance needs to be there. We need to measure the performance to kind of assist in the strategy and the execution and how we develop our process. Um, but if you think of like sports, and I love sports analogies, and this kind of works really well here, is that you know your best players are not necessarily the ones that are are are, are hitting the home runs, correct? Right. It is it is the effort that goes yeah. into every at bat that makes the game successful, no matter what the sport is. And you know I feel like we get so focused on the end results that we stop focusing actually on the effort that was required to get to the result. And it's like, if we start playing that game, I love playing the game. I love the idea that you have playing the game in the 30 day cycle, but, you know, focusing on the efforts. What, what are your thoughts? Do you see the same thing, by the way? Well, interesting enough, baseball um, is the only sport that, that I know of in traditional history mm -hmm. where you are exceptional at a 33% average. <laughs> That's why I think baseball is so similar to us. But yeah, you're right. hundred percent. Baseball is the only sport where you're successful at a 30%, 33% average. Well, I would say that maybe probably retail car sales, because hypothetically speaking, a 20 to 30% closing ratio on a retail sales end is a good deal. So you know, that, that, that's kind of the same way. But other sports, um, I know you said you have podcasts in different areas, but you know, in, in, in American football, right, in the yep. NFL, you've got to complete it past 60% percent of the time or better to be considered a good quarterback whereas in baseball if you get up to bat three times in a game and you get one hit we think you're a rock star so the question is is it because the sport is a bad sport is it because we've done it a bad way no that just seems to be what the effort Going back to the effort, that's what creates longevity over the course of a lifetime in that individual sport. Now, why is it that way in baseball and not with other sports? That, that I'm not sure of. But you're 100% correct when it comes to baseball. You know, I find the interesting is even – look, we could talk about hockey, talk about any of them. But I think the key thing is that in sports, we're measuring efforts. Yep. You know, and the efforts is what determines the, result, what determines the results. And, you know, I, I feel like we get so, look, we build pay plans, we build processes focusing on results, not necessarily efforts. And I'm wondering if that might be one of the disconnects when it kind of comes behind, you know, uh, 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 the upsell. You know, it's like, it, look, I understand the goal is results. But right. if you play sports, you know, to your point with football, all right, the goal, yes, it's the results, mm -hmm. but the goal is to hit the 60%. And then that's how you're measured, you know, that, it, look, if you're hitting that 60% consistently, you're a good quarterback, Correct. regardless if your team lost. Yeah. Right. And, and I wonder if that's the kind of mentality we have to bring into the service department. What are your thoughts? 
Um, in a service department, the answer to that question is 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 one hundred percent yes. And one of the things that be, begins sometimes to be a disconnect, uh, specifically with car dealerships, and it's 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 not anybody's fault. It just happens to be the way that things are. So when you have one hundred customers that come into a car dealership in a day. And we want a 25% closing ratio. So at the end of the day, Jason, you, you've seen this, right? You go out and you sit down with a GM and you sit down with a GSM, you sit down with a dealer principal and you're going over all of your metrics and individual says, what's your closing ratio? Well, it's 25%. So it says, okay. So the dealer says, how many cars do you want to sell next month? We want to sell hundred cars. So we go in there, we do the math. He says, all right, 25% closing ratio. Want to sell hundred cars. We need 400 people to come to the store. 25% closing ratio, that's 100 cars. All right, hallelujah. How do we get to get the, how do we get to get the 400 people to come into the store? Whereas in service and parts, what's interesting is that if you have 100 clients coming into your dealership in a day, mm-hmm. the odds of one of, the odds of 75% of those clients not purchasing anything is slim to none. Yep. So for the most part, if you have 100 customers coming into your store in a day, and, and let's take out the ones that come for the complimentary car wash or your air filter checks. I mean, ones that we write up a legitimate repair order. 85% of them are going to purchase something. So with that being said, we've already reached the quote unquote pinnacle of being the good quarterback. We've already reached the pinnacle of getting a base hit. And I think sometimes we judge the results with the service and parts department by saying, how many home runs can we hit? Exactly. Or how many touchdown passes did we get? As opposed to saying in the NFL, did you catch a pass and get me three extra yards? Yeah. Did you get or, on base in, in, right. in, in baseball? Right. Like it's, it's, it's right. that measurable. It's too often. We want to go from here to here. Right. <laughs> and we want to forget about all the 13 steps that are required in between there, but as long exactly. as we get to here. So and that's what exactly. I'm going to say. Like, so like we were, you know, the, the, this question kind of was developed around goals. Right. And I understand that manufacturers got goals, dealerships got goals, the advisors got goals, the service right. manager has goals. Um, but I, I have seen, and this is just kind of through my experience, I've seen some of the most successful service departments out there, truly successful. We're talking happy advisors, happy customers. All right. right. Major profitability is that their goals are not necessarily always around the results, but their goals are based on their efforts. Yep. It's that at bat. And I'm curious if you've seen the same thing, because I know you've, you've worked with a lot of dealers as well. So, 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 so something that, that, that I think manufacturers are doing a lot more of, and I think they, they, they should look into is things such as your, 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 your repaired on the first visit scores or your customer advocacy like goals. Um, when I worked in rental car, um, my first regional manager, um, was a guy named Sam. Um, you know, he was, he, you know, he always told me he wasn't the most educated man in the room, even though he had a master's. And <laughs> his conversation to me is he said, here's what I want you to do, son. He said, can you get him to come back? And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, can you get him to come back? And I said, um, I, I guess I don't understand. <laughs> he said, you know, he said, you know, I went to class and they talked about about making profit and renting the cars and making sure that you charge the most amount of money for the cars and making sure that you cut your expenses. He said, 
I don't give a hoot about any of that. Can you make him come back? I like this guy. <laughs> and I said, well, I guess I can. He said, that's what I'm worried about. He said, if they, he said, if they spend a hundred million dollars with you today and you make your money off of it today and they don't ever come back, you got to find somebody else to spend a hundred million dollars. He said, can you make them come back? If you make them come back, then we make more money. Then everybody's happy. Then I don't have to come down here and yell at y'all. And that was what I started to tell some of my employees when I got a management job. I said, the longevity, the repeat business, can you make them come back? Yes. I said, if you can get the client to come back, everything else is going to fall by the wayside and everything else is going to work in our favor. So when we come to goals, and I know it's there's, there's, there's not a necessary number to look at that, but sometimes business growth is, how many more customers did you have tomorrow mm -hmm. than you had today? And part of that equation is the easiest way to get more customers tomorrow than we had today is to keep the amount of customers that you have today and then work with the existing customers that are going to come into the pipeline because their cars are going to be traded in and they're going to need more work or it's going to age. But the, the, the thing is, I think sometimes we forget about the clients that we lose either because maybe we didn't pay attention to them, let's say it's not part of our pay plan, or maybe we don't think that they're important. Sure. No, I, it really kind of is, right? I think, I, I, but I think it's pay plan. I think that's where we're kind of, the disconnect is, right? It's like, you know, do we necessarily compensate? We, look, we're compensating for results. We're not necessarily compensating uh, for, for the efforts. And, you know, are they coming back? You right. know, look, we, we, we measure, you know, we'll measure our service managers um, uh, I guess results based on their retention, yeah. but you know, it's the advisor that really has the most amount mm -hmm. of control around this. And it's in the singular transactions that make a big difference. So, so going to that, like, so how do we upsell the right way? I guess that's the big fundamental question, which I know there was a lot of the conversation that we had right. in that post that was posted. And, 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 and I appreciate everybody that participated in that post, by the way, because I think it, was, it spawned off and kind of broke off a lot of additional conversations afterwards as well. So getting in your opinion, Squire, like how do we, how do we do this the right way? So the one thing that I would say, which is most important is um, and I know, Jason, you mentioned that in the beginning when you started to talk about, um, you know, what is it an upsell? Is it a recommendation or whatever it <laughs> yeah. is? Bring it into what technically the job is. Mm -hmm. We have service advisors, and that's what we call them. And we, we don't call them service salespeople. We don't call them service recommenders. We don't call them, you know, uh, customer experience specialists. We call it a service advisor. So essentially, what we should be doing is we should be measuring what the service advisor is doing as far as advising the client based upon what the vehicle is showing that it needs. And sometimes it's based upon a computer projection. Sometimes it's based upon manufacturer recommendations. And sometimes it's based upon an interaction with the customer. But a lot of it, it should be what is the advice that the client is giving you and once you have that conversation with the client to find out what it is you are to advise and not to quote unquote, make a political term out of it. Right. But the, the United States Senate is supposed to advise and consent. <laughs> so you advise the client of what's going on with your vehicle. Here are your tires. They're at six thirty seconds or five thirty seconds right mm -hmm. here. It is. And let's say it's in the yellow. So 
So what that means is I don't want you to buy tires today, okay, even though it would be a good thing. But in the course of time, let's say before it gets colder out or let's say before winter season comes or let's say before you go on that road trip, we don't want them to get into the red. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a price on these tires, right? I'm going to give you a price on the four tires because here's where there are and here's where it's going to cost today. Here's your 30-day price guarantee because that's part of the thing that we do. And then I'm going to say, is this something that you'd like me to add on to your repair? Customer says, yes, we've quote unquote made it up sale. Hallelujah. All right. We've done that good thing. And let's quote unquote ring it up. But let's say if the client says, hmm, I'm not sure, then the conversation turns into be okay. Technically, the client hasn't said no, meaning I don't want to buy it. But the customer says, I'm not sure, meaning either I'm not sure that I want to spend the six, eight, nine thousand dollars on a set of tires because they're quote unquote not cheap. Or maybe I want to look for a better option, or maybe I want to look at something better, but they haven't necessarily told me, I just don't want to buy what you want me to buy now. But too many times when an advisor does that, and the client says, I'm not sure, and then let's say the product doesn't get sold or added on to the repair order, going back to pay plan and performance, the advisor gets quote unquote dinged because they did not sell it. And you've got a technician that says, oh, well, you can't sell anything. And you got a manager that makes know, fun of them right? and goes into the break room, right? All of that stuff. And instead, all that I've done is I've advised the client. And the client, the, the beautiful thing about that is even though I've told the client, shown that they've got the multi-point you, inspection, you did all the, job stuff, and the did, client's did never it. told me, you're a lion sack of baloney, <laughs> that I don't believe that I, that, I, that, that I need that. So that's one of the processes on advising and consent and upsells that I think love we're that missing. Process. And I think that's what it is, is that I see, I, uh, I think one of the goals have to be that uh, in service actually needs to be a goal, right? And, you know, and I'm, and I mean, service levels, meaning yeah. how do you service the customer, right? And that, that needs to be a goal, because I find when it is a goal, then we can actually reverse engineer backwards to develop processes that maintain that level of service. Okay. And, but, but my question is, is, you know, for I don't find that necessarily seems to be a big goal. I guess that's what it is. I guess that's my concern is I don't necessarily find it a lot of dealerships that the, the, the service or the satisfaction, they'll, they'll look at their SSI scores or CSI scores or whatever it is, right? And, you know, as long as they're hitting this number, it's acceptable. And then, you know, like they don't need to change or do anything else, you know? It's got this acceptance of mediocrity, I guess that's what it is, right? Um, but like, it's like, I love the process that you just defined. You know, now I'm I thinking like I'm a dealer principal or I'm a, a service manager out there. And I'm listening to our conversation right now. I'm going, I love that process, Squire. You know, how do I sure, how do how do I ensure that 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 is the process that gets executed every single time at my dealership? What would you say to a dealer like that? Um, well, let's go back to our sports analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take MLB. You got a batter that you signed onto your team and you know, you're paying him six, eight, 20, 30, $40 million a year. Yeah. Guys, got, guys got 180 batting average, 18% or 200 batting average. And we're, you know, we're not winning enough games. Yep. So what do you do? You, you, you go to your strength and conditioning coach, you go to your batting coach and you sit this guy in the batting cage and you throw, you throw balls at him. Yes. And you say, we're going to go to practice. Um, You know, I mean, NFL, you know, the, 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 the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Manning's, the, um, um, 
the 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 Aaron Rodgers, the you know insert name here, the Patrick Mahomes, the greatest quarterbacks that we've seen, the Brett Favre's, all of mm-hmm. them, the Jim McMahon's in in in, in the nineteen eighties Bears. You you take all of these individuals and you say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to practice and we're going to run routes and we're going to throw balls at each other. The on the defensive side of the ball, the the Ed Reeds, the Ray Lewis's, the the the, the Ray Nitschkes, um, the Bronco Nagurskis, you you practice mm-hmm. and you know what to say repeatedly over and over and over. And what's interesting is too many times we do these things on the new and used car quote unquote variable side of the house. We have sales seminars and we're going to bring in Jason oh, yes. and we're going to have Jason teach our guys how to sell and we're going to do all this other stuff. And then we go into services. You guys have a seminar? Well, we talked about upsells. We talked about objections. The guy made us watch video and that's kind of it. Did you do anything else? Well, no, we just, that, that's what we did. I don't see the service teams going to practice. I love that as much as the sales teams. In fact, I see technicians who repair vehicles go to practice more often because they're required to go to a training class to keep their skill levels up. I don't see service teams going to practice. And I think that's because, you know, as, as, as an industry, you know, our goal is to service the vehicle, but to service the customer all right, has always in our heads have been a byproduct of how well I service the car, but it's not. Sure. It's an entirely different process. Sure. And to your point, you got to practice the living crap out of that. Yeah. It is not necessarily that's just going to be something. I mean, look, there are some people that are natural at it. I've hired advisors that I was just like, wow, you took to this thing like a fish in water, right? right. And, and right. they just naturally um, know how to service the customer and service the vehicles need at the same time and find that appropriate balance. But I think a good chunk of, of, of them out there do not. And to your point, just don't go to practice, yep. you know, and I love that. And that is, that is, I think the proper way to, you know, upsell the right way is, is going to practice. Now um, let, I want to take this practice analogy a little bit farther because I, I think there are some people that are listening, watching, and they're agreeing with us. Like, okay, I kind of like this guy. So I like what you're saying. Now, now, now what would be, you know, the top three things that you would practice on a regular basis to ensure that the advisors are servicing the customer and servicing the car and balancing that out? Well, um, the first thing that I would do is, is I would have, and it's a little different, I would have a sales and service meeting mm-hmm. and I would bring my sales consultants that quote unquote, they're rock stars if they you know, if, if they've got a 25% closing ratio. Yeah, exactly. And then I bring my service advisors in there where hypothetically 65 to 85% of the clients are going to buy something. Yep. And I would sit them across from the room with each other and I would say, let's hear some objections that you all hear. And your sales team, new and used, are going to say, okay, well, you know, sometimes it's about payment and sometimes it's about down payment. Sometimes it's about finance rate and sometimes it's about this. And, and, and every customer may not understand what any of those things mean. But at the end of the day, most sales teams, new and used car, they know when that client has a smile on their face because they've seen the nice exactly. red Corvette or they've seen the nice... Um, you know, black with the tan interior Alfa Romeo, or they seen the Porsche that they want, right? We know that the product desire is there. 
But when you go to the service end of thing, very few clients really do understand what better what having a new set of brakes does for you on the vehicle with the exception of I stepped on the pedal and the car kept going. Exactly. So sometimes it's about getting the client to understand how the service of a customer in the service department is different than the service of a client or the sell of a car in the sales department because there's a visual aspect of it mm. on the new and used car side that you do not have. Exactly. You bring, right. You bring your vehicle in and, and, and then they say that something's going on with your tires. They put new tires on your car and it's like, well, and you go out and drive. It's like, does it feel different? Well, you know, if you're not taking any corners at 80 or 90, like, <laughs> like I am, you don't know. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like, well, what do tires look like? Well, they're brown and they're black and they're shiny. What they look like before? Well, they were round and they were I'm black and shiny. they weren't so shiny. <laughs> so what's the big difference? Whereas a customer that brings in a 10-year-old rusted out whatever it is with 150, 180K. And even if they leave with a used five-year-old whatever it is so with 60,000 miles less, they know that they've got something because they can visually see it. Whereas if you replace the spark plugs on a vehicle on time, is it really going to feel the difference? <laughs> you're not going to feel the difference, right? So what ends up happening is this is what's going to be better fuel economy. It's going to run better and so on and so forth. And the client's going to say, okay, as soon as they leave, because I've seen customers do this, right? You've sold a client a big job, right? Spark plug replacement, and you've got your, all your fluids changed based upon the recommendation, and you've got all your suspension tightened up and so on and so forth. You've got brakes on the car, and they say it's going to be better fuel economy, and its acceleration is going to be better. And I've seen a client do this, right? Client did this, and, and, and this client owned a Ford Focus, right? Two 2.0-liter car, 120 horsepower. Guy went out to the interstate and punched it. Came back an hour later, and he good. says, doesn't feel any faster. You told me this thing was going to have it. It's like, no, it's, you're not going to go from a Ford Focus to 911 acceleration. But the thing of it is, is you did not visually see what we told you it was going to be. So sometimes the servicing of the customer is letting them know that your vehicle is going to be safe. Yep. You're going to get the maximum amount of miles out of your vehicle. Um, actually, interesting enough, Toyota Lexus does this the best, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Toyota Lexus has a club where once you put 100 and 200 and 300,000 miles on, uh, on your car, they give you like a sticker. Oh, I know. I love that, right? Right. So what customers do is they want to say, I want to get to that 400,000 mile mark. I want to get to that 200,000 mile mark. And so when you hear clients talk about a domestic product and they say, well, the thing doesn't last, it probably does. But the thing of it is, is that you have one company that basically services you by making you proud of investing your money, yes. upselling, 100%. and getting to that 300,000 mile mark. And you have another company that doesn't give you, quote unquote, as much credit for it, even though you're doing it. So you feel better about what it is that you're doing and the money that you're spending, which is a service and the longevity and the retention and the more profit and everything else. You know what? I love that. In fact, I think... Uh, there are so many dealerships out there that can learn so much from practicing together on the sales and service side um, because it is, it is an entirely different thing. You know, it's it, you're selling the product, um, but here we're, we're we're not only selling the servicing of the vehicle, but we're also selling the servicing of the customer. And again, it's all about practice, practice, practice. And it's just it's those efforts. And I love the fact that you look at it in kind of this thirty day kind of game day type scenario because look sometimes some months you're going to have bad games 
And, you know, and, and, I, and I think the other cool thing of looking at it that way is that, you know, you can really kind of create that culture of like leaving it all on the field. You know, guys, look, maybe the results weren't quite there, but damn it, we, we left it all out there. We gave it our all, right? And I, and I think that's where, you know, advisors can connect and, you know, be proud about what they do. But then, the, then you have the, the, the cherry or the not so sweet part on the top. And that is the, how the hell do we properly compensate? Because I think we've, we've laid out, you know, of, you know what should an up, upsell look like. We've kind of laid out the goals behind it. We've, we, we've identified the practice, and I love the practice, consistently practicing. Then it comes to compensate. And I feel like in, as an industry, there are some dealerships out there that do this amazingly. But as an industry, this is where we fall short. And we lose all of that momentum that we just kind of talked about. So I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on how do you compensate for the upsell properly? That's a... That's probably, as they call it, that's that that's one of the most difficult sixty-four thousand dollar questions that I've that, that know, I've experienced. Right? Um, <laughs> the thing that I would say to our dealer principals, general managers, um, vehicle controllers, owners, um, quote unquote, the money people, mm-hmm. is to take a look at the finances of it, because obviously everybody looks at it from a different financial lens. Um, so. I think the first thing that we would look at is we would try to say, okay, what is the ultimate goal that we would, I say, like to spend? And how do we make that work for all parties? And in a new and used car department, hypothetically speaking, let's let's say let's say it's a little bit easier, right? The marketing money's already spent. We've already spent some money to get the client into the door. So that money comes off of the overall profit thought process. And then we're going to interact with the customer to get them to enter into a transaction. That transaction has a financial dollar amount. And then there's the sale of the vehicle. There's the finance of the vehicle. Sometimes there's accessories put on the vehicle, things of that nature. But at the end of the day, we get to a number. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of dealership owners do because of what guidelines that they have, corporate guidelines, NADA guidelines, 20 group guidelines, they say, here's your percentage that you need to have. And as long as that percentage is equal and it makes sense and everybody's happy, that's normally what we go into. But the thing of it that we do is in the service and the parts arena, what we don't sometimes realize is this. A lot of times that servicing of the client, and there are some manufacturers and some dealerships that do a very good job at this than others, is they have agreed to sometimes say that we're going to forgo a percentage to make some profit. Yes. And it's not always easy to do when you're talking to quote unquote finance individuals, right? Because there's a percentage of this is what you're supposed to make, you know, X times Y equals Z, so on and so forth. And we don't have time to quote unquote, really think about that fudge factor of what happens next time. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about retention and we talk about this, you know, there, there was a formula that we had when I was doing some dealership analysis and it says that one to 2% retention on average sometimes is $5,200 5200 to $7,200 of profit on an annual basis. Yeah. So a lot of times when you present that to an owner, the owner's going to say, okay, I get that great. But in true business terms, instead of tell me, show me, show me where that money comes to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is 
you have to do a financial analysis. No different than if you have an owner going into a, uh, when a manufacturer comes out and says, hey, we need you to sell 20 cars this month. Owner's going to say, okay, 20 cars multiplied by this much grows, plus by this, here's my incentives, here's First my round numbers. To, yeah. A lot of times in service and parts, it's it's really not that easy because there's overhead and there's, let's say, absorption things, and there's, 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 there's things that go into fixed operations that we always don't know about. But sometimes to go into compensation, what I think should be best is let's take a decent enough base money. You want to call it salary, you want to call it draw, you want to call it whatever it is. Here's your base amount of money that we're going to give the department for running. And if we're going to base it upon this percentage, this is a percentage of overall profit that the store is going to make. And we're going to give you some compensation for increasing that basic amount. So if we make $100,000 a month in gross profit this month and it goes to $120,000, so $20,000 increase, you get a percentage of that 20 grand. That makes sense. Yeah, 100%. But then we're going to go to say, okay, because you did that and you kept your clients happy, we believe that we're going to increase that, let's say, by another 20% over the course of the year. So hypothetically, what we do is we may save a little bit of that money to then give you a retention bonus because at the end of the day, going back to my good business manager, Sam, as long as you get them to come back, we're going to have that money and we're going to have that profitability stored up. And one of the things about service and parts, which is a little bit different than new and used car sales, Mm -hmm. sometimes your marketing to get the client back isn't sending out 2000 emails saying, Hey, we need your car. We want you to come in. Sometimes it's calling customer up and says, Hey, Jason, I know you were here last month. And I know you're at 30,000 miles and I know that you didn't want to do the spark plugs then because you're a little tight on funds. And I get that. I understand that. But you're probably around 40K right now. And I know that we should have did it at 30. Can we get you to come in at the end of the month to do this one service? Sure. Right. Now, you're either going to say, yes, I am, or you're going to say, no, you're not. But you're probably not going to tell me I don't need the spark plug replacement because we agreed that it needed to be done the last time I was there. Well, that's that proactive you know, servicing of the customer and servicing of, of the vehicle that we're kind of talking about. Right. right exactly. I, I exactly. think what I find is, is that, you know, I think there needs to be a compensation for the effort and there has yep. to be a compensation for, for, for the results. And um, I, I find we're, we're way too skewed towards the result side. When we know if the more time that we focus on the efforts, the results come. But those efforts is what ensures the, the servicing effort. of the customer. The correct efforts. Exactly. The correct, the correct efforts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the correct efforts. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so, so I, I yeah, got to agree with you there. Yeah. Got to agree with you there. And, and, and a lot of times that's what I think sometimes is missing, but going back to my analogy with the professional sports team, mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't have, or we didn't put in place, or maybe we just forgot to put a strength and conditioning coach. You know, I mean, in, in, in quote unquote, in the good old days, you had a head coach, you had an offensive guy, you had a defensive guy, you had a guy that did special teams. And some of these teams start to put in a strength and conditioning coach. And some of the guys says, well, why do you want to spend money on a strength and conditioning coach? Well, here's why. Because a strength and conditioning coach gets you healthier athletes that do not get injured as much, yes. that are able to go to practice and practice harder and get better at their jobs. Well, how does that help us win games? 
Well, if Tom Brady's hurt, you're going to win the game? Well, probably not. <laughs> exactly. Guess what you got to do? You got to keep him healthy. So you know, you it's know, the it's, same it's, thing with it, whatever sport you want to go into, right? I mean, I mean, I can't remember who the guy uh, was because uh, I'm not that big of a hockey fan. If your star goalie's out, yes, right, you're getting five goals scored on you, bro. You, you ain't winning no cup that way unless you score seven, and that normally doesn't happen. So guess what? You got to keep that guy in the pipes. So guess what you got to do? That that's what the strength and conditioning coach is. You got to hire a strength and conditioning coach to keep these individuals at tip top shape. And if you do that, then guess what? That's what's going to help you. And sometimes we forget to hire the strength and conditioning coach, or it's not in the budget, or we're not one hundred percent sure, or we're not sure what it's going to do. That, that that's where the practice comes in, and that's what's going you're, to. You're help. so right, and I find there's a bit of a disconnect there. You know what ends up happening is 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 I find a lot of service departments are uh, focusing on um, the execution of the department. So the day-to-day, -day, right? Mm -hmm. But then the growth factor kind of fades away. So it, it almost kind of becomes a leadership thing. It, it really, it's almost kind of tails off into a whole other podcast topic that we could talk about, you know, is, is what is the responsibility of leadership within the service department? And, and, and again, how well do we train the leaders in our service department? I mean, is this, you know, I don't think this is something you know, what we're talking about here doesn't necessarily come natural for a lot of people, right? It is, it is something that kind of has to be trained and has to develop over time so that you can be that strengthening, you know, coach and development coach. You know, it's so like, I, I think what it is, is for all the dealers and, and, and service managers out there listening, you know, it, it's taking that proactive approach, you know, to the up, to the, to the upsell, you know, making sure that your goals are around the efforts, not always the results. Because look, we get it. We, we get you want results, right? Yeah. Like that's there. And then, you know, upselling it, the, <clears throat> excuse me, upselling it the right way, servicing the customer. And if you're going to effectively service a customer um, correctly on a regular basis and execute it well, it's what you said, you know, Squires, practice, 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 yeah. right? And that is a process, the practicing that process can be something that is scheduled and done consistently. Too often I see that we'll go to practice and then we're good and then yeah. we'll bounce. And then two or three weeks later, the efforts declined again. And then we have to go back to it, right? right? But it's a consistency of it. And then, like I said, the compensation. I look, I'm all for uh, performance based compensation, but not at the detriment of. Uh, losing our efforts that we practice so much on and we have touched a lot of really good subjects today and i know it's towards the tail end of our time but you know before i let you go squire for everybody out there that's that's watching and listening to this and just really digging this conversation we'd love to connect with you and kind of follow along with your journey as well what's the best way to do so um, so I've got a LinkedIn profile. Um, it's my name, Squire Pettis. Um, there's probably not that many of me out there. So if you search <laughs> me, um, I'm available on LinkedIn. And that's that. That's my primary form of, of communication out there to the professional world. So, you know, if you've got questions about that, definitely uh, send me a LinkedIn request. Uh, I, I post things every once in a while. So respond to those sort of things. And, and, and I love to communicate with people um, both inside and outside the automotive community because I'm starting to see and agree that 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 sales and servicing of clients um, do not normally differ between most industries. There's normally mm -hmm. a, um, a similarity within whatever organization it happens to be, whether it's automotive, whether it's education, uh, whether it's um, technology or things of that nature. 
Um, and I'd love to talk to a you know great diverse workforce. You know, so wherever you happen to be, wherever you are, if you've got questions or anything like that, reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my name's Squire Pettis. Thank you all very much. Squire, man, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate just your openness. You know, I think I think I reached out to you and I'm like, hey, Squire, I like your point. We should do a podcast about it. I think your response was, uh-huh. Um, yeah. Like, it's just, it's, I just love connecting with people that have a passion for industry and you truly do. So th this has been, this has been a lot of fun. I hope you have yourself an amazing, amazing day. Thank you so much. Right, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you too. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. 